Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. It's time to drop the puck. Time for the Nightcap. Your home for news and insider info on your Vegas Golden Knights and the NHL. Let's hear from the goalie. Here's Lindsey Brown. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to the Nightcap. My name is Lindsey Brown. I'm your host always and forever. And uh, celebrating the the decisive victory, the first victory of the new series against the Vancouver Canucks. Your Golden Knights just absolutely bulldozed them 5-0 last night. Uh, Dreaming for the full hour uh, of the Nightcap, which is our first time in a while. Uh, my trusty co-host on the Playmakers and my personal best friend, Paul Iander. Hello, Paulito! Hey, I'm hopping over the... Uh... Hopping over the uh, the the uh, the boards, the boards. Yes, and, you are the and, hockey expert. That is why you are here. The ice. That's why I couldn't come up with a damn word boards. Exactly. Well, you know, there's a lot flying around when when you have as dominant as an effort as you, as we saw from the Vegas Golden Knights uh, last night in that five to nothing win over the Vancouver Canucks. It's easy for things to get a little discombobulated, uh, especially when you're doling out the number of hits that the Vegas Golden Knights. It's 54 hits last night, Paul, and the Vancouver Canucks with 45 and that was really the biggest uh, story of the game was the Vegas Golden Knights ability to impose their will and physicality on the Vancouver Canucks and the Vancouver Canucks built or uh, beat a very good uh, uh, St. Louis Blues team while that they weren't exactly firing all cylinders after winning the cup last year as as we restarted the pause that comes that victory comes with a lot of uh, a reinforcement of belief in, in a young group in, in skill in speed and and in some sense of destiny and that was quickly put kibosh last night against the Vegas Golden Knights. And honestly, it might have a ripple effect throughout the rest of the series, Paul. You know, I think the positivity for the Golden Knights was the fact that you got those contributions, continual contributions in the postseason from the guys that we're now starting to depend on, the Alex Tucks and the Riley Smiths and the Mark Stones. I think, you know, they're continuing to show up in every game, putting up points in every game, whether it's assists, whether it's goals, whether it's some of that just kind of that small little edge work and stick work that's helping set up their set set up their teammates. I think those guys are really starting to, to, uh, to come together here at the right time because it has been consistent performances from them. They're not taking any nights off. And that, that you would expect that in the playoffs, mm-hmm. but you're not seeing one of them fall back. As we've seen this real kind of even spread among the Knights, you know, there's no one that's scored 12 goals in the postseason. We're seeing, you know, five goals, six goals. The same with those assists. It's been very consistent, but it's been spread across the entire score sheet and the stat sheet. And what I noticed last night, especially during the game, 
you know, against uh, Vancouver there in game one is that the minutes were spread out very equally. There wasn't a lot of extra time for one or another. No one really had to press too hard. It came really natural. And I think that's good to see for the Knights and, and for fans to see too, because it shows that they are playing a very consistent level of hockey that can beat, you know, you know, the Chicago's and the Vancouver's of the world. Exactly. Because one of the reasons why you fight so hard for seeding and, and one that the Gold Knights were able to secure the top seed and, and during the round round, is the advantage of last change that always goes to the home team. And like you said, Paul, when you're rolling lines and, and, the, and the minutes are being uh, uh, divvied out as evenly as they were uh, across all the forwards, that means that there's not a lot of pushback. You're not trying to match up matchups. You're not trying to to worry about what the other team is doing or who they're going to put out or making sure that you're putting the best matchup because everybody is playing a game in which they're pl- they are winning those 50-50 battles and the better team on the ice. And while last night's victory was a, was a huge confidence boost for your Golden Knights and and their their versatility, to be honest, uh, you do have to move on from that victory. You need to leave that in the past, and that's what they'll have to do tomorrow night when they go for game two. What time is that? It's another late game, right? Is it 730? 6.45. 6.45 is when tomorrow they're looking night. to get that one going. And you mentioned leaving things behind, but I think I'm not sure I would want to leave too much behind no. in terms of the lessons that were learned against Vancouver. It obviously... Vegas had a, had a game plan to come out a little bit more physical, to be a little bit more aggressive, to try to control the speed that is Vancouver, because we know the Canucks were able to skate around the Blues a little bit in terms of just making themselves incredibly more versatile and, and, and adapting to the to that style of play and that change of play, and I expect that for Vancouver tomorrow night. I don't expect it to be you know such an easy ride. Right. Um, you you talk about you know some of those lessons being learned. I think for a guy like and especially when we talk about goaltending and Robin Leonard not taking on a team that he used to play for, but a brand new face and seeing Vancouver and seeing them for the first time, he really handled that pressure really well. Because you know when you get out, you get that good start. The early ga- the er- the goals came pretty quick for the Knights in that first period, and then that second period they were able to pour it on. Leonard was able to capitalize on that and and be and settle into that group. Saw a couple of those early shots like you like to see. Oh, yeah. Grab grab those. See- in, baby. Grab those nice and quick, and he was able to settle in and a playoff shutout. That speaks volumes for someone who, you know, looks like he's dialed in, who has to play the head games with not just his teammates, but with himself. He looked comfortable out there. Yeah, and he was he was talking some smack, too. I mean, Ryan Reeves wasn't the only one playing mind games out there, and, and that was absolutely a, a huge theme in last night's victory and one that will carry over. But when you're when you're seeing shots all from the perimeter around the outside, like right along the boards or at the very edge of the blue line where a lot of the, the Vancouver defensemen were actually willingly taking shots from last night. They were giving a ton of respect to the Golden Knights uh, when they were playing offense in their zone, and that's just indicative of, of of players that aren't comfortable with the tempo, with the rhythm, with how they're playing, that aren't feeling as confident in their decision makings or their ability to execute, and, and that comes from Ryan Reeves clucking on the bench. That comes from the little jab that Robin Leonard gave to Roussel early in the game when he skated right by and and, and he hit him in the back of the leg and, and started jawing with him. And that's the thing that you can kind of basically psychoanalyze a young team like Vancouver and get them off of their game mentally, not just getting in their heads where they're doubting themselves, but by baiting them into playing a more physical game, a game that where they feel like getting even with the hits or, or getting back at someone who might have just hit them and, and was a weird hit to begin with, that they're focused on that rather than 
I need to focus on fundamental hockey plays, short passes, quick decisions, and getting the puck out of the zone. And when you're distracted like that, when you have a young team that that is running like the Vancouver Canucks, it's very easy to get looped into that. And and Travis Green, as great of a coach as he is, and and as as uh, on the heartbeat of his team and his line combinations as he has been through the first few rounds here, you just once a train starts going like the like the game from Golden Knights uh, was from last night. There's not much you can do to stop it, no matter how good Jacob Markstrom is playing, uh, no matter how well. Uh, anybody is playing on your side, but that's the thing. There wasn't a lot from the big characters of the Vancouver Canucks last night. Brock Besser had zero shots, minus three. You had JT Miller, minus one, one shot. Elias Pettersson, the ch- like the the guy who is probably the second coming of Pavel Datsyuk, or at least turning into it. Zero shots, minus two last night, 15-20 in ice time. That's down. That is low. And because when you're not getting those offensive, positive reinforcement things, I know we I say this all the time, Paul, but that's what helps you dictate Keep that tempo up, not just when you're playing the fun parts of hockey, which is in the offensive zone or on odd man rushes, but keeping that tenacity, that fire and that tempo going into the 50-50 battles down low or in the neutral zone or, or, or along the boards. And I wouldn't expect a, 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 as dominant of a performance from the, for the Golden Knights tomorrow night, but as long as they are able to keep that neutral zone uh, tight in that transition game uh, in their favor, which I, I think that's where the series is won and lost. A couple of Ugly penalties for Vancouver to start the second, and it kind of put them behind real fast. You know, you feel like you're digging it, digging yourself into a hole, and you can only overcome so many mistakes before it's going to bite you. You know, power plays are meant are meant for you know scoring, and you can only hold that off unless you've got a real, real good wall in place. And it, it, eventually, the wall is going to have to fail. It did for Vancouver. I saw a couple of nice plays for the Canucks, just mounting a couple of sprints to the other end, and they look like real set plays. But once the once the once the Knights figured out exactly what was happening, they were able to recover probably quicker than I think Vancouver was able to improvise a change out of what was happening. And I think that's one of the bigger things that we're going to see out of the remainder of this series between these two teams is that can Vancouver, once they start improvising, can they make another quick change? Because it felt like the Knights last night were able to adapt a little bit faster than I think even the Canucks thought they could. Yeah, absolutely. Or the or Vegas was just that much better. And that's the thing. The Canucks have been extremely malleable and, and adaptable. And that's really what, what aided them in their, their victory their series victory over the St. Louis Blues. But that's it's about staying disciplined, whether that's not getting outside of yourself and thinking, well, I got to take this puck coast to coast because our breakout isn't going well. Nobody's getting shots on net. So I'm going to take it from below my own goal line, skate it all the way down and try to get a shot. Like it can't be that. It can't be, well, Ryan Reeves hit me really hard, clucked at me and then said something else that was really mean and can't be repeated over the radio. Well, then I'm going to go try to hit him as hard as I possibly can. And guess what? Because I'm playing undisciplined, my elbows are going up and I catch him up high. Those are the little decisions and the little uh, bits of experience that are so skewered on the other side for your Golden Knights, just based off of who makes up that roster and, and the, and the fresh eyes, fresh legs and, and fresh minds that the, that the Vancouver Canucks, they just haven't been pushed like this yet. And this is going to be their first, you know, real big test in these playoffs because just the, the, the St. Louis blues didn't put that much, didn't put that big of a fight up. And so the, the Vancouver Canucks, much like the Chicago Blackhawks, are going to have to play near-perfect hockey. They need to capitalize on those opportunities and those little mini sprints to the other end of the ice. But that wasn't in their favor last night. So as long as the Gold Knights keep minimizing those and shelling and capitalizing on theirs, 
put more pucks in the net the other team, that's the name of the game. That is hockey, my friends. Yeah, it felt like Vancouver wanted to create a frenzy and create a frantic pace in the neutral zone. And when when it when you looked at both teams, it just looked like the Knights were just so much more poised. They, they were just crisper. The passes were better. You know, the penalty kill didn't work, obviously, early in the second where Riley got that goal, uh, you know, for Vancouver. You know, and that, those are those little – those you talk about the small things. Those are those things that are game breakers for a lot of teams. And the tip by Stone in the second period, you know, you almost had to feel for Vancouver because nothing was going to go right at that point. And that was pretty much exactly at the midpoint of the game, too, right. on that slapper where, where Stoner just kind of just stuck out the stick, just kind of just nonchalantly. And it wasn't, I mean, maybe it was maybe it was intentional, maybe it wasn't, but it was one of those moments where you were like, boy, the Knights just can't do anything wrong tonight. Yeah, hockey's a fickle game like that where if things are definitely rolling in your way, there there is uh, the hockey gods tend to smile upon you a little bit more. And while I think Mark Stone, knowing his uh, abilities, uh, hand-eye coordination-wise, definitely was not on accident, but it's based off of who he is, the type of goal that is being scored. And as much as two to nothing versus three to nothing is only a difference of one goal psychologically. And as you said, at the midpoint of that game, and you're getting absolutely torched in every other aspect of the, of, of the ice. If you're the Vancouver Canucks, you're, that's a death blow. And Alex Tuck, the X factor adding on to it. You're just like, yeah, we need to chalk this up. We need to move on. We need to make sure that we're not, we're, that we're generating as much momentum that we can carry over to game two as we possibly can. And that's why you see Jay, that's why you saw Jacob Markstrom pulled. That's why you saw the, the Vancouver Canucks trying to hit a little bit more in that third period, try to uh, scrum at the end of the game. You see that because teams are trying to create some momentum that they can carry over, at least some feeling. Because I would feel pretty numb if I was on that Vancouver team after last night because you're just you're getting beat every way and three times on Sunday. Yeah, and even, even, even though there was that, that slick passing sequence towards in the third period, I remember, and and it, the, what the Pacioretty goal? Yeah, it was just like tactile. Yeah, it was just like meh. Okay. Yeah. You know what? You know, men what you, against boys. Yeah. Honestly. What? Yeah. What are you going to do about that? In Vancouver, you know, I don't know if they just go full street hockey here in this se- in this second game just to see if they can throw Vegas off their rhythm. Mm-hmm. But for the team, literally, it felt like it. You know, there's a in music you have this metronome and it just goes tick, tock, mm-hmm. tick talk and it, that was just the consistent rhythm of Vegas and every time that Vancouver wanted to stop the tick tock they they just kept, all Vancouver all all Vegas did was just speed it up just a little teeny bit and yeah. then Vancouver was left behind yet again yeah, Lizzo didn't invent tempo, but she definitely popularized it, and uh, it's it's going to be a, a theme for for your Vegas Gold Knights as they look to advance uh, through this next round by dispatching the Vancouver Canucks. But before we start looking forward, we do need to include some of our great uh, guests that are going to be joining us this evening. Justin Emerson is first on deck. He covers the Vegas Gold Knights for the Las Vegas Sun. We got to make sure we get to him and don't leave him on hold too long. You're listening to the Nightcap with Lindsay and Paul on CBS Sports Radio 1140. <laughs> Your Monday Night Power Play, The Nightcap, on CBS Sports Radio 1140. Full hour of the nightcap, just because things are getting a little serious in the NHL playoffs for Vegas Golden Knights, dispatching the uh, Vancouver Canucks five to nothing last night in Game One, and joining us on the phone to break down everything from last night's game and, and Vegas Golden Knights related is Justin Emerson of the Las Vegas Sun. He joined us last week, and we're riding the hot hand, and that's why you're here, Justin. So gritty goals, pretty goals, pick you apart goals, save the first two to start goals. What was the best? most impressive goal from the Golden Knights for you last night? Oh, it was Alex Tuck. That one was awesome. I mean, he just, he caught the defense just standing still, as he said, after the game and just zoomed through him. I mean, those, those are the kind of goals that you just, you see in like junior hockey when one kid is just way better than everybody else. 
Uh, not goals you see in the NHL very often. It was very impressive by Tuck last night. I, I tend to agree with you. He had that foot race uh, one from the from the far blue, aka the Golden Knights blue line, and and scored that on a breakaway. And a really great shot, and really going after Markstrom's bread and butter in the glove. He says, "Guess what? That's your best save. I'm going to beat you the glove side." And and it was just an all around really uh, impressive performance last night for the Golden Knights. And while Alex Tuck had the best goal, who do you think had the most dominant performance overall uh, by your evaluation last night? Uh-huh, that's a good question. I mean. Thank you. So many of the players were so good last night. Uh, Tuck was really good. Shea Theodore was phenomenal on the blue line. Uh, Mark Stone, you know, does what we now pretty much just come to expect from Mark Stone. Um, It's funny. I wrote it in my game story last night that Robin Leonard had his first career uh, playoff shutout, and he he wasn't the main story of the night. I mean, they just – they made it easy for him last night, and the Golden Knights were just so good. But to answer your question, I'll go with Stone. I think he looked really good last night. Justin, uh, Paul here. Hey, it, it's interesting to, to me that the NHL chose today to spotlight Mark, St- spotlight Mark Stone. And Stone, while he's been incredibly consistent, it feels like he's the most underachieving, unassuming all-star where we have to invent things like expressive Mark Stone just to get this guy some attention. What makes him that special of a catalyst, especially here in the playoffs where you know they're looking to, to Stone to do things for them, but it's not like he's Mr. Playoffs himself in terms of experience? Yeah, I, I think so much of what makes Stone special is uh, the small things that he does that you don't really realize if you're not watching him every day. Like, it's so easy to drop into a hockey game, an Oilers game, and go, wow, Connor McDavid's the best player on the ice, or Sidney Crosby for years, or Alex Ovechkin. Like, these players pop off the page, and that's why these guys are considered the kind of the flag bearers for superstars in the league. But, you know, Stone is just under a point-per-game player in in the regular season, so it's not like he's a – 50 goal scorer, he's dishing out 80 assists or whatever, but there's not a part of his game that isn't good. I mean, he he scores goals, he passes, he he dishes them out, he plays defense so well, his stick is always in the right spot, he's disrupting passing lanes, that kind of thing. And you know, I knew when the Golden Knights were getting stoned that they were getting a really good player, but until we got to see him and he wasn't in Ottawa and he was in Vegas, that we got to really appreciate what he does every night, that we realized just how good he is and. I don't think he's going to be underappreciated for very long just because of he's got 22 points in 16 playoff games with the Golden Knights now. He's getting that recognition as the best player on one of the best teams in hockey. And, uh, you know, he's, he's not going to be that underappreciated superstar for very much longer. And when you play an all-around game like that and make everyone better on the ice when he's out there, and, and even on the bench, as much as the expressive Mark Stone, you know that he is the subtle heartbeat of this team, or at least the one that is getting everybody up and ready to go in the big spots. And it wasn't like the Golden Knights didn't have big momentum shifts last night where things could have gone the other way, but they did such a good job of, of getting on them from the opening face-off and really dominating the neutral zone mostly, which is the bread and butter of the Vancouver Canucks game. But the thing is, is that we've kind of seen this narrative before Justin because in their inaugural season which you covered uh, I, I did not but in their opening game of the second round against the San Jose Sharks they stomped them 7 nothing before dropping game 2 I remember I was like 7 nothing in game 1 they might actually have something special here but in game 2 they lost in double overtime 4-3 to just a couple of days later so what was the hype compared to the team that uh, then and, and what we're kind of talking about and feeling about this team now and how do the Knights avoid a, a, a similar fate in their game 2 matchup tomorrow night I, I will I will say that I actually didn't cover the team year one. I was in there year two. But 
to answer your question, I remember being in San Jose last year and everything was going so well for the Sharks and it wasn't it wasn't the same it wasn't a seven nothing beatdown or anything like that. But we were looking at just the way that the Sharks outplayed the Golden Knights and going, Oh man, this could be a rough series for Vegas and they came back and won the next three games. Now they didn't win the series, but that's not the point. Um, you know, momentum is great, but it, it only it only lasts until the puck drops the next night, right? Like, it, you can do whatever you want. You can win 7 nothing in a playoff game, but then lose in double overtime the next game, and suddenly all the thoughts are going the other way. You look at the Golden Knights Stanley Cup final. They won the first game. It was 6-4. to four. They just beat up on the big bad Caps and then got, you know, lost the next four games. So momentum is great. Momentum is fun, but as soon as the puck drops tomorrow night, it really doesn't matter what happened in game one. Um, now, I don't necessarily think that the Golden Knights are in trouble, I would say, because or anything like that, because they are just they're just better than Vancouver, but I wouldn't expect another 5 nothing beatdown or anything like that just because it happened last night. Justin Emerson covers the Golden Knights for the Las Vegas Sun. Justin, let me ask you about a guy who I just thought has turned himself, uh, turn, turned on the Jets inside and kind of figured things out in a hurry. And maybe it was the break that did him a lot of good, obviously, just in terms of health. And that's Alex Tuck, who has had a monster postseason here, has really grown into his own. You loved his, you loved his last goal, and he's been, he's been a consistent player on the score sheet. I have advocated for more minutes for him, to be honest. But now that, now that it seems like, uh, Pete DeBoer has kind of settled in on just kind of of letting everybody roll with the punches, uh, he has found himself uh, a human highlight. Uh, he's a human highlight reel so far, at least in this postseason. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is what we're seeing from Tuck right now is what we probably would have been seeing all season had he not been hurt. I don't think injuries are, you know, you can't just, like, he didn't have a great regular season. You can't just say, oh, well, he was hurt. He was, but... It was also part of it, like the, the Golden Knights' second year. Uh, he was he was playing those top six minutes on the right wing, but then they got Mark Stone, and he had to drop down to the third line, and he kind of had to readjust his game a little bit. He wasn't playing those top six minutes anymore. He was playing third line time, and you know that cuts in. You know, if you're playing three four minutes less a night, that that gets your psyche a little bit. You got to know that you got to be a little bit better every shift, otherwise things are going to start falling apart for you. So I think it was a combination of him needing to find a new role and get that line mates that worked for him because he played with so many different line mates, Cody Glass, Cody Eakin, Chandler Stevenson, all his centers this year. And then he's really settling in these playoffs. He's healthy. And I think it's just a perfect storm for him to be back to where the Golden Knights feel like he should be. Speaking of a super settled situation, let's turn to the goaltending position. Shall we? Uh, what do you make of uh, the tweet and uh, and Flurry's solo address ahead of yesterday's game. I know a lot of people are like, well, they sent him out there alone. Well, it's his agent. He, it's him to answer. And I think that he did a, a decent job. He didn't offer all the information that we were all looking for. But there was some information that we can definitely glean from. Yeah, I mean, it was it was all weird, right? Like Saturday, we get this tweet from his agent about him getting stabbed in the back. And then they, they trot him out there on Sunday to talk about it. And, you know, it's. Yeah, I don't want to try to dig too deep into Flurry's head or what what he knew or didn't know, but I mean, if it was something that he was mad at his agent for posting it and felt like it was that bad, that maybe it wouldn't have lived for 24 hours, and he wouldn't his first statements wouldn't have been defending his agent, and he would have answered if he knew that it was going to happen or not, and he declined it to answer that twice. So I don't know. It was all a it was all a very weird situation, but uh, you know, as far as whether or not it was going to be a distraction for the team, uh, 
apparently not because they came out the next night and or later that night and just rolled over the Canucks and Robin Leonard had his first shutout. So anybody hoping that it was going to be a distraction and bring down the Golden Knights had to have been pretty disappointed in last night's game. Yeah, sometimes you run into a, a goalie that just makes you keep him or her in the net because they are just playing so well. And I think that's the situation that Robin Leonard has kind of played himself into. And and it, that's a hard thing to accept for any starting goaltender, especially one like Mark Andre's pedigree and, and how much he's done for the city. But in terms of what looking towards the rest of the series, and, and you're kind of in and in with the team on the day day by day beats as more than I am. But I, I know that there's back to back this is a different round we are dealing with with fewer teams the intensity has been turned up but what do you think what do you think the percentages that we see mark andre fleury uh, during this season because i think it's really really low like less than 10 percent low unless something goes really wrong if we're throwing out percentages i'd say maybe a tick higher than you just said but i, I don't think it's i don't think it's high i wouldn't i wouldn't take the action if i had to bet whether or not he's going to play that i wouldn't bet yes but because the back-to-backs this series, I think, are game five and six, if necessary. And, like, the way they played last night, there might not be a game five or six. And then if, if they get that far, are you really going to pull a guy? Like, I saw people were still kind of talking, like, who's going to start game two? Is there really any thought that it's not going to be Robin Leonard tomorrow night? Like, not in my mind. Not, yeah. Like, it's, he's, he's been fantastic. He has been the clear-cut starter. They alternated in the round Robin, and Fleury's other, only other start was in – was in a back-to-back, so no, I, I, I'm with you. I, I'm, I don't think that we're going to see Flurry. I said it, I said it before the postseason started that I, I know that Pete DeBoer had said that we would rotation and we were going to see both guys, but I was, I was never convinced. I think we talked about it that it was like you want your one guy to, and you want to be able to ride him and not have him looking over his shoulder every time he gives up a bad goal, knowing that he might not have to get to play the next game because of that. You want him to just be able to go, and I think that's what they have with Robin Leonard now, who's been. Really, really good going on two full seasons now. So I, I think Leonard's their guy and will be going forward. Yeah, a confident goalie is a good goalie. Just ask Jordan Bennington all about that and how he felt and how his <laughs> game went the rest of the way out. But in terms of, of feeling good about yourself and having having that momentum and having some tempo, that was something that really the Golden Knights, that was the big focus of that game and the big reason why it was such a decisive victory. And by adding insult uh, to physical reinforcement, it's not just we're going to hit you, we're going to insult you as you get off the ice and you're hurting. So how, how tough do you think it will be for Vancouver to generate that sustained momentum in games like last night? It's uh, a competitive psyche pressure cooker. I think it's going to be tough. I mean, the Canucks are a better team than the Blackhawks, but they're not all that different when you look real closely at them. Like, Blackhawks were really bad five-on-five teams. Vancouver wasn't that much better. They have a really good power play. They have a, you know, a star in the making on the blue line in Quinn Hughes that Chicago didn't have, but they just had no trouble with Hughes last night. They didn't have any trouble with Pedersen. And I don't know. I think that the Canucks are pretty outmatched in this series. Uh, I, that doesn't obviously mean that they can't win. We've seen crazier things in hockey. But the Golden Knights are definitely in the driver's seat this series. And whether or not they can you know, get any sustained pressure or anything like that, I think in order for them to win, it's going to be like we saw Chicago beat the Golden Knights. And it's going to be you know, a couple of power play goals and Jacob Markstrom playing out of his mind, and I think that's that's what Vancouver is going to have to do because if the game's being played at five on five, I don't think the Canucks have much of a chance. 
It all starts with a good breakout and getting the red and getting pucks deep and uh, riding that hot hand. Justin, I appreciate you joining us today. And where can we find all of your great work and your uh, your musings on the social media? <laughs> I'm in J15 Emerson on Twitter. I'd like to have a little bit of fun during hockey games. You know that. Uh, and then I'm also at thelasvegasun.com. I've got a I've got a story on Robin Leonard coming out tomorrow. Just the fact that he's been really borderline elite the last two seasons, but he's never really been bad in his career. So we really shouldn't be surprised. You can check that out on the sun tomorrow. Well, you get that polished up. That sounds like a great article. And uh, I appreciate you joining us today, my friend. We'll uh, be excited for game two. Anytime, Lindsay. Thanks. Thanks, Justin. That was Justin Emerson of the Las Vegas Sun at J15 Emerson on Twitter. And we got more friends. We got more people to talk to, Paul. And guess what? This one's up in Canada. We're going to talk to someone on the inside uh, beyond enemy lines. Uh, TSN uh, 1040 Vancouver Canucks reporter Jeff Patterson joins us in just a few minutes to figure out. So what do we do in game two to not have game one happen again if you're wearing blue? That's next on the Nightcap on CBS Sports Radio 1140. Filtered hockey talk for Golden Knights fans. It's the Nightcap on CBS Sports Radio 1140. And welcome back to the Nightcap. Lindsay and Paul hanging with you guys until 6. Just talking Vegas Golden Knights, talking playoff hockey, and reminding you that if you've missed any part of our show today or any previous episode of the Nightcap, you can find that on the Radio.com app. If you've deleted that to make room for photos, because I know a lot of people are taking screenshots and whatever, uh, you just got to go in your Apple App Store or the Google Play Store, re-download the Radio.com app, and once you get into there, search out the Nightcap include the and hit that little heart in the upper left hand corner to uh, subscribe that's also available on apple podcasts as well uh but we have to get to our next guest very excited to have jeff patterson join us today from tsn uh 1040 vancouver uh jeff on a scale of one to ten how shell-shocked were the vancouver canucks last night yeah, it was right up there. I, I'd call that a solid nine. Like I've covered this team uh, for the better part of 20 years and certainly been there every game, home and away for the last bunch of years. And they haven't laid many eggs, but they did last night. And look, I'll give the Vegas Golden Knights a ton of credit. I uh, love the way they play, uh, how tenacious they are, relentless on the forecheck. You know, they played their style of game. And I don't know if the Canucks were still riding high from defeating the defending Stanley Cup champs and maybe hadn't come down necessarily in terms of a, a necessary focus, uh, whatever the case. Um, Vegas was the better team, and uh, now it's on the Canucks to try to respond tomorrow. Otherwise, they're going to be uh, in all kinds of trouble. They, I mean, Vegas is just too good, too deep. If uh, the Canucks go down 2 nothing, you know, it's going to be a steep hill to climb at that point. But again, I've seen this team uh, play a whole lot better their best players were no-shows last night, and that hasn't ha- happened very often. Again, you give credit where it's due to the Golden Knights for doing their part, but uh, the Canucks need more from Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes and Bo Horvat and Brock Besser and JT Miller. Those are their five best players. They accounted for three shots on goal last night. Not enough, not nearly enough. So uh, we'll see what a day off does for uh, the Canucks, allow them to try to regroup and make some adjustments and come back and be better tomorrow night. Yeah, Jeff, I always think the Canucks are great when they play a little bit more of a frantic style of hockey and they're able to move their opponents just kind of the way they want to be moved. Uh, but, you know, you gave you gave the Golden Knights, the, the Canucks gave the Golden Knights a couple of gifts early in that second period with a couple of back-to-back penalties. And I think that's really what, you know, is the difference, you know, to try to take on a team like the Golden Knights that we've been watching all season here is that the Knights are really great about capitalizing on other teams' mistakes, especially when it comes to penalties. And, you know, Ryan, 
Ryan Reeves, you know, was really in the in the in the grill, so to speak, in the kitchen of a lot of the of a lot of the connection. It felt like, you know, it, it was that kind of it was a veteran move to disrupt a team that, you know, Lindsay and I have said before was maybe a little bit too soon to make this playoff run. Yeah, like, you know, I'm not sure that I expect them to beat St. Louis, to be perfectly honest with you. But when I watched the Blues in the bubble in Edmonton, you know, they weren't terribly inspired in the round robin portion. They hadn't won coming out of uh, the round robin. And the Canucks jumped on them early. And, and credit to the Canucks. They did what they had to do over those six games. The Canucks were the better team, as it turned out. But, you know, I, I watch Vegas, and like it's just been all business for the Golden Knights uh, in the bubble. And that continued last night. So you're right about the Canucks style of play, but there are two teams out there, and, and Vegas is going to try to prevent them from doing what they want. You know, one of the real weapons for this Vancouver Hockey Club is the power play, and in the first two games when they got up 2 nothing on St. Louis, they were 5 for 9 with the man advantage. So, you know, when they got their chances, they put the hammer down, and that was a, a big part of how they jumped out to a 2 nothing lead on the Blues. You know, they didn't do enough last night to draw penalties. They didn't have the puck enough. They certainly weren't forcing the issue. And so it's hard to sit here from a Canucks perspective and say they deserve more power plays. You know, they have to hope that there will be a few more calls along the way. And when they get them, you know, that's when they're going to have to do their damage on the power play because uh, they had the fourth best power play in the National Hockey League during the regular season. And they picked up sort of where they left off as the Minnesota play-in series continued. And then obviously against St. Louis, the power play was a big deal. And that comes right back to... You know, those guys that I mentioned, those are their best players. Now, a lot of them are, are young. For a lot of these guys, this is their first look at the Stanley Cup playoffs. So, you know, I think uh, getting past St. Louis was a little bit of a, yeah, I mean, uh, overachievement to a degree. But, you know, this league has never been younger. And young players have such an impact on uh, teams all around the National Hockey League. And the Canucks are proof of that. So, uh, you know, they can't get caught up in just trying to soak up the atmosphere. They're in the fight. They're in the battle. They didn't put up much of a fight last night. But, you know, I look back to games during the regular season, and I think of one in Dallas in November, which seems like about 10 lifetimes ago. But uh, when you go back to November, they lost 6-1 in Dallas. They were run out of the rink. And the next night in Nashville, they scored five power play goals. Now, you're not going to get five power play goals very often, but their best players absolutely stepped up and atoned for the performance two nights earlier. And so I think it's things like that that the Canucks are going to have to hang their hat on, but, you know, talk's cheap. I mean, we can sit here and talk all night long about what the Canucks have to do. Ultimately, it's on those guys to show up and be a whole lot better tomorrow night. Yeah, Jeff, there's a distinct difference, at least for me, of the urgency and the hunger that was displayed by the St. Louis Blues since the pause restarted and, and what we're seeing from the Golden Knights. And it's really not lost. I mean, why one team is where it is and the other team headed home. But another reason why uh, the Vancouver Canucks were so successful against the St. Louis Blues was because of head coach Travis Green. He's really had his 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 finger on the pulse of this team and and moving his line combinations around to fit how the game is going momentum-wise. And, and based off of what we we saw from those top players, as we mentioned earlier, which was not a whole lot. Do you think that Travis Green might have to consider breaking up that top line of of, of JT Miller, of, of Bo Horvat, and of Brock Bessert, and, re- and kind of re-delegate some minutes and resources to keep up with the depth of, of the Vegas Golden Knights? Yeah, Elias Pettersson is the guy that drives the bus, and so I'll be really curious to see the you know, for most of these playoffs, it's been Elias Pettersson between JT Miller and Brock Besser. And they kind of went away from that late in the St. Louis series because Ryan O'Reilly was absolutely uh, forcing them to with his performance. And the Blues, as the higher seed, had last change in 
uh, you know, three of the first five games, and some of the Canucks were trying to work away from those matchups. Now, the Golden Knights obviously present matchup problems as well, so... You know, Travis Green tried something last night. It didn't work. I would assume that you'll see some different combinations. I think it has to be that way. You know, that's what playoff hockey is all about, that uh, the team that loses that first game, it's on them to make the necessary adjustments. And the Canucks have done a pretty good job of that. You know, they've lost back-to-back only once in these playoffs. That was games three and four against the Blues, and one of those was in overtime. I mean, they were one shot away from taking a 3 nothing series lead. Didn't happen for them, but they end up winning that series in six. So I thought Travis Green did coach a nice series uh, against the St. Louis Blues, you know, sometimes uh, we give the coach too much grief when a team loses and not enough credit maybe when they win. And, you know, I thought he had his fingerprints over uh, the late series victories against the St. Louis Blues with some of his adjustments. Now, in saying that, uh, good goaltending will make a lot of coaches look really good too, right? And Jacob Markstrom was light so good, and certainly the Canucks had the better of the goaltending against the Blues. You know, I didn't think the Canucks did enough to test Robin Lehner. I, I have no idea how good Robin Lehner was last night, and that's not to detract from him at all. He stopped the 26 shots that he faced. I just didn't think that the Canucks tested him. Ten of those 26 shots were from defensemen, so, you know, the forwards really didn't do nearly enough. Uh, there wasn't a lot of sustained pressure. I didn't think there was a lot of zone time for the Canucks. There was a lot of one-and-dones when they did get the puck in the Vegas end, and you know, they've got to do a better job of that. And, and it's all hockey cliche and hockey talk, but, you know, you've got to get to the front of the net, try to score a few of those greasy goals. And, you know, the other thing, too, is the Canucks don't have to match the Golden Knights. They don't have to beat them 5 nothing tomorrow night. A 2-1 win or a 3-2 win will serve the same purpose. And I, I think, you know, for Canuck fans, uh, a lot of them were sort of stunned because you come off a win over the defending Stanley Cup champs, the Canucks hadn't won a playoff series in nine years, and so this fan base was riding high, and I think the thinking here was, man, if the Canucks can dethrone the defending champs, like, bring on the world, and then all of a sudden it's 5 nothing, and they're in a world of hurt against the Golden Knights in Game 1. So, you know, if expectations are that they have to match the Golden Knights, I think people are misguided. You know, do whatever it takes just to grind out a victory. If it takes overtime tomorrow night, so be it. There aren't really style points. It's just how many wins do you have, and it's a race to four. So... Uh, you know, there was no doubt that the better team won last night's hockey game, but uh, the Canucks are banking on those best players that we talked about being better, and, and Jacob Markstrom is a part of that. And I didn't think he had an off night necessarily. I look at the goals, and it's hard to point to any that were, you know, particularly bad goals. I do think the Canucks had a few self-inflicted wounds on the Riley Smith goal, the power play goal. Uh, Alex Edler and Jay Beagle both had the puck and a chance to clear down the ice, and they didn't. They misfired, and... You know, you can't give a talented team like Vegas more opportunities than they should have on the power play. You know, the Canucks had to get that puck the length of the ice, and they didn't. And then it wound up in the back of their net, and all of a sudden, at 2 nothing, you know, it kind of felt like the game may be getting away from them. And sure enough, you know, it's 4 nothing before you know it, and then 5 in the third period. So, uh, again, you know, it, it's pretty simple. Your best players have to be your best players at this time of the season, and the Canucks players weren't, and you saw the depth of the Golden Knights last night, and I think that probably uh, is a pretty good indication of uh, when Vegas is on its game. You know, best guys are going, but they're spreading the scoring around as well. Now, Jeff, you took my favorite turn in the hockey conversation, which is towards goaltending and, w- and towards Jakob Markstrom, which, as a former goaltender myself, is is creating a level of excitement that I really haven't felt about a goaltender's performance and, and game since 2012 when I was watching Jonathan Quick put uh, uh, Erna Kahn, Smythe, and, and, and beat the Vancouver Canuck team in the first round in that sweep. We won't bring up those bad memories. But uh, yeah. Markstrom is going to need to be brilliant to take four games from Vegas Golden Knights. He obviously need, like you said, the other big names and, and the rest of the team are very important 
but this team will go as far as Jakob Markstrom will take them. So uh, in terms of his ability to withstand the VGK waves, I know that it's there. But in terms of that sustained pressure time and keeping him low in his crouch and and tiring out the legs of his defenders in front of him, do you think that's going to be the factor between uh, uh, Markstrom's good game like we saw from last night where it didn't do anything necessarily wrong, but the games that we were seeing earlier from him of greatness, we were just like, oh, my God, I feel like I'm watching like just some godlike performance because the athleticism doesn't make sense physically. Yeah, I mean, he's the two-time MVP of this hockey club the last couple of seasons in the regular season, and rightly so. I mean, he is the backbone of the Vancouver Canucks, and when he is dialed in, you see it. You see the team draw confidence uh, from their goaltender. And then I look at the goals last night, like the Marcia so goal to get things going. You know, the Canucks are running around in their own zone. They lose a puck battle on the wall. Uh, Bo Horvat loses Marcia so at the back door. You know, that's not necessarily on Jacob Markstrom. The Riley Smith goal, the power play goal, you know, clear the front of the net. Like, Markstrom's going to stop the ones that he sees, but you can't allow a player like Riley Smith just to set up shop right on the doorstep, and that's what happened. So, you know, I put that more on the Canucks defenders and the penalty killers, and then the Mark Stone goal was similar. Again, in front of the net, you know, that's a nifty deflection from a guy that's got great hand-eye coordination. You know, the Alex Tuck goal just races away from three Canucks, and you'd like to save there, but uh, Tuck's in a groove right now and up to five goals here in the playoffs. So, you know, it's not like a, a plumber that came in on him, a guy that doesn't score goals. Alex Tuck looked like a goal scorer on that play, and then, you know, Pacioretty was having a night with, what uh, did he end up with, eight shots on 13 attempts, and, uh, you know, that was an uncontested one as well. So, you know, when I go through the goals, I don't really pin any of them on Jacob Markstrom. I don't think there was a bad goal in the bunch, and I think it was a bit of a mercy pull as well at the end there because Travis Green's probably worried that it's five, you know, could get to six or seven, and if this is your starter and this is supposed to be one of your difference makers, you know, you don't want the Golden Knights to pump them that way uh, on the first night of the series. So I was a little surprised that they didn't get Markstrom out of there after two periods and just let Thatcher Demko have a period of mop-up duty. But at the same time, uh, Travis Green and Jacob Markstrom go back years uh, to their time in Utica in the American Hockey League and you know, I think Travis has a pretty good feel on, you know, when Markstrom is ready to come out of a game like that one or if he wants to stay in there and battle for his team. So uh, the goalie himself, it, you know, when you get shut out, it's hard to point to the goalie and say he didn't do enough. But I think the guys have to do a better job in front of him, uh, clear some bodies out. If he can see shots, he's probably going to save them. And uh, like that other group of players, I'm really curious to see. I, I've seen this. I've seen Markstrom, and I've seen the team in front of him bounce back from some subpar performances. So I'm not writing them off yet, but, you know, this is the deeper you go in the playoffs, the, the greater the challenge. And I think they're finding that, that a St. Louis team that was scuffling along was right for the picking, but this Vegas team uh, meant business last night, and I assume that they will again tomorrow. I don't think they're going to let up just because they beat the Canucks 5 nothing. And so the question is, can the Canucks match what Vegas puts on the ice tomorrow night? Plenty of psychological warfare to go amongst all of us. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, hopefully we can reconnect before this uh, series gets uh, completed. I hope it goes seven games, honestly, because I think it'd be a, it, it would be a good long series, uh, even if it ends quicker. Uh, appreciate me. Uh, appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, that was Jeff Patterson from TSN 1040 Vancouver. We're going to quickly go to our break and have like the shortest segment ever to wrap up the nightcap. The nightcap. That's a uh, night with a K. As in Golden Knights, duh, on CBS Sports Radio 1140. So, 
so many friends joining us for on the nightcap tonight. A full hour, first time in a long while. We just wrapped up a, a conversation with TSN 1040 uh, reporter Jeff Patterson. Talked a little bit about what the Vancouver Canucks need to fix, which is a lot uh, ahead of their Game 2 matchup with their Golden Knights. 6.45 tomorrow night, you say, Paul? 6.45. I think the Canucks just need to press a little bit more, control some of the things that they can control. Uh, you mm. know, again, it was, it was you know, full opportunities. The, the Knights capitalized on pretty much everything that they needed to last night got a couple of lucky puck bounces as well you know the 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 Canucks were out of their element uh, rolling into a team like the Knights and I don't think they overlooked them or underlooked them by any means it was just a much more mature team a much more you know business-like team as as Jeff mentioned that you know was ready to go and they're and are we're here they're they're in Edmonton to take names at this point they yeah. really are they're trying to eliminate as many distractions as they possibly can on the ice and off the ice as well and it seems like you know everything is clicking at the right time you can tell by the balanced score sheets yeah vancouver needs to focus less on the clucking and more on the pucking i said puck but yeah, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting way, uh, an interesting thing to see how uh, how the Golden Knights approach tomorrow night. I'm sure they're going to look to to get them off their game, get in their heads a little bit, just like last night. But I would expect a a lot more defensively tight, a lot more uh, bodies in the middle to to disrupt the Golden Knights, whether that be through block shots or just disrupting those those skating lanes, those shooting lanes that were very much apparent, like on that Max Pacioretty goal last night, and that that tic tac toe from behind the net. Uh, it was just an all around dominant performance. There are a lot of uh, reclamation projects for the for the Vancouver Canucks to do in terms of their psyche and how they're going to attack the Golden Knights and uh, honestly they're going to have to play a really good game and they're going to have to do that every single night because the Golden Knights are the top seed in the Western Conference for a reason and they are showing it and they're flexing their might and their muscle and that's really the backbone of this team always has been always will be push people around and then finish them off later. That's really the MO. Uh, We'll be back next week on the nightcap. Thank you to Paul uh, for joining me. Thanks to Mark. Thanks to Justin Emerson and uh, Jeff Patterson. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. But until then, hockey on, follow us on Twitter and uh, be well, stay safe and wear your damn mask. This is the nightcap on CBS sports radio, 1140. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.